Hello and welcome to the Fat Moon Podcast, a platform for creative therapists to connect and learn from each other. My name is Kirsty Green, and I'm an art therapist with a passion for bringing together community. Each Fat Moon episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing a creative therapist from around the globe. The intention is to offer listeners insight into our peers' pathways, professions, and interests in methodologies. It's my hope that this podcast inspires and educates the collective by building bridges between our disciplines, settings, experiences, and our cultures. The Fat Moon podcast is created, recorded, and inspired on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to elders past and present and to any Aboriginal people listening today. So welcome all. Please enjoy today's guest and our rich discussion. Hello and welcome to the Fat Moon Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Carla Van Laar, residing in Australia. Carla is an artist, a creative arts therapist, a doctor of therapeutic arts, a PACFA registered supervisor, a published author, the lead campaigner of Activate's Art Therapy, and the convener for the College of Creative and Experiential Therapy within PACFA. Welcome, Carla. Hello. <laughs> How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. I was a little bit of a squeaky hello, wasn't it? But, uh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello from over here. I'm good. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, thank you so much for saying yes. <laughs> To begin with, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your journey to becoming a creative arts therapist. Mm. Well, when I knew that you were going to ask me that, I started thinking, well, oh, gosh, you know, how far back do I go? Um, So suffice to say, art has been part of my life always, as as far back as I can remember that I've loved um, drawing and painting and looking at the world around me. And, um, yeah, it's been a way to entertain myself, calm myself, get to know myself. It's been a way to um, go on spiritual quests and to process the deepest, most significant, you know, losses of my life. It's been a way to celebrate everything that's also good and beautiful and restorative in my life so there's my own personal relationship with art of course Mm. and you know like um, many of us we come to this you know this profession or the creative arts therapies professions um often through our own transformative experiences of using art to support us, often through times of distress and trauma, grief, loss um, and those kinds of things. And so I'm no different to other people in that way. Um, I became a client of art therapy when I was in my early 20s and I had a um, my firstborn son had a a degenerative neurological condition and so we spent a lot of time at the children's hospital in Melbourne and uh, we got yeah we 
were able to access both music therapy and art therapy and dance movement therapy mm. um, during his life. And uh, he passed at the age of three years and nine months. So I'd, I had, um, we, we engaged in a lot of art-based activities during his life and it was a beautiful way to improve his quality of life and give him pleasure and enjoyment and joy and also to um, strengthen the bond between me and him, mother and child, to have beautiful mm. times together and also for our whole family and extended family and that flows on out into, you know, the um, community that we were a part of and that he was part of. So, yeah, we... We did a lot of art-based activities during his life um, and by that stage I was in my mid-20s and I'd already done fine arts, yeah, and I was working as a community artist so I'd actually already worked with a lot of groups um, including people with disabilities as well as uh, children in schools and kinders and, and that kind of thing. And, yes, I was quite experienced already at facilitating art-based groups that, looking back on them now, definitely had therapeutic qualities, although they weren't mm. old art therapy. Um, but, yeah, after Vaughan, my son passed, that's when I decided to study my Master of Creative Arts Therapy at RMIT, and I started it in 1998 and I finished, I graduated in the year 2000. And so my master's um, inquiry was, um, it was an arts-based inquiry into being a bereaved mother. So, yeah, I uh, used art as a way of uh, coming to know that experience more fully and to share it with others and to understand it and then to... Um, produce a book called Bereaved Mother's Heart and that was um, in the early 2000s. Um, maternal bereavement was a topic that was still not much spoken about and, mm. and a bit taboo, which might be hard for people to believe these days. Um, but, yeah, grief itself was rather, um, you know, not as well known um, as what it is now. So a lot of the practices were very institutionalised um, and based in kind of corny, archaic, religious, you know, ceremonial stuff um, and they weren't personal at all. And so, yeah, that I guess challenging the taboos around maternal bereavement was something that I did really early on um, through my my research in my first book. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Carla. Um, when you say your research, that's your that's your doctoral of research that you're oh, referring to? I was talking to? about, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. I was talking about my master's no. then. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I did a heuristic arts-based inquiry for my, yeah, my master's, Project, we, we did a thesis back then, so a research thesis. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone yeah. doesn't know what heuristic inquiry is, heuristic inquiry is actually where the researcher 
has the lived experience of the life experience that they're researching. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, we hear the term lived experience a lot these days, um, mm. but lived experience research was something that, in especially in the course that I graduated from, which was the, the Master of Creative Arts Therapy at RMIT, which is the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology in Melbourne, Australia, NAM. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, there was a lot of, there was actually, we were really supported to look into our own lived experience in that course. And I think that 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 interest in researching lived experience petered off a little bit in the art therapy programs, you know, maybe in the last decade. But there's a whole lot of lived experience research that's out there in, you know, university libraries and things that's probably a really wonderful untapped resource. And also mm. now there's so much interest in lived experience as, you know, a, a knowledge source that's really valued and validated, but it wasn't as much back then. Hmm. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, now I just want to go to the library and, and look it all up. Um, <laughs> so following from when you, you graduated your creative arts therapist mm-hmm. masters you I, I see you've got 25 years experience so um I'm wondering if you could take us on a little journey from from there onwards <laughs> <laughs> I mean as much as you want to share <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> I'll put the filter on no <laughs> um, so yeah it's It's very interesting. So um, like I said, I was already working as a community artist, so I was able to keep doing that. Um, And I just remember there was a job I did really early on, which was such a great job. There was an organisation called Reverse Garbage Truck and they Mm. collected a whole heap of recycled stuff and put it in a warehouse and sold it as art materials. And they employed me as an artist to go around and drive the truck full of recycled stuff um, and go around to schools and things and run recycled art workshops. So, yeah, I was doing that and I was able to keep doing that kind of work while I transitioned into being a full-time art therapist. And a lot of people do that too, you know. You keep doing a thing that you're doing and maybe get one or two days a week running some groups and that's exactly what happened to me. So I started running groups in a sort of a psychosocial day program, as they were called then, and that was for people who had um, psychiatric disabilities along with, you know, other, um, you know, life experiences. And so, yeah, would go in and run art sessions for them. And I was, oh, that's right, because I was working with, running art groups for people with disabilities at, and that was run through the disability services at Darabin Council and because in their, you know, the their human services department, the disability services sit alongside youth justice so the, mm-hmm. the workers know each other. Anyway, the youth justice workers heard that I was running stuff and they asked me to work with a group of young women who'd been um, in custody uh, and was sort of now back out living in the community on, you know, parole. And 
So, yeah, I started working with young women in the youth justice system and um, we did this wonderful project and it was all about the theme was like what makes me feel good about myself. Yeah, this Mm -hmm. is in about the year 2000 or 2001. Anyway, so I'd... I'd imagine myself to be working with uh, families of children with, you know, life-threatening illnesses and even bereaved families and my dream job would have been to work at the children's hospital and I actually volunteered there before I was qualified. I volunteered there for about three or four years while I was studying Um, and that was in the oncology ward. Um, So, yeah, I'd kind of imagined because I'd spent so much time at the hospital with my son and then volunteered there, I kind of imagined working there. Um, but And I did end up working there, but not in the way that I imagined because I ended up um, continuing on this pathway of working with, um, you know, young people, adolescents who were in the youth justice system. And my first full-time job was with an organisation called White Lion and they worked with um, young people who were in custody at the Youth um, Justice Centre in Parkville. And so the program I was running, yeah, it was a mentoring program and they'd got me on board because I was an art therapist and everyone else who worked there were all sports people. So (laughs) I was there, I found myself working with all these footballers, right, (laughs) who were going in. Yeah, playing sport with kids in custody. They'd had this review done by Vic Health. Vic Health have said, well, that's great that you're, you know, doing lots of sporty stuff. Maybe you should do some arty stuff as well. Mm. And so, yeah, they, they got me in. And so I ended up building this mentoring program. So I'd be recruiting volunteers who were interested in doing It's very similar to the big brother, big sister model where mm. You know, the idea is to build a relationship with a young person who, you know, will benefit from having a pro-social role model in their life and Mm -hmm. then continue that relationship once that young person um, leaves the custodial environment and sort of be somebody who can be a friend and a bit of a mentor to them once they're back out um, living in the community, which is really challenging for a lot of people when... um, you know, the, the people that they turn to for friendship and support are maybe also the people who get them involved in doing things that will get them locked back up. So, mm. yeah, so anyway, I started off doing this matchmaking kind of job and it just basically failed, right, like coming in and saying, oh, here's, here's an interested, nice, kind adult and here's, you know, a young person in custody, meet and <laughs> have a relationship. So... <laughs> It just didn't really work, right? So then I was like, oh, my gosh, what can I do? And how do people, you know, develop relationships in real life? And I was like, oh, you know, they do things together. So I started then organising all of these creative activities um, Mm. where people could engage in what were really quite therapeutic activities so arts-based projects as well as um you know things like surf trips or golf days or um oh you know cooking um sewing 
just activities that are interests, right? And mm-hmm. the volunteers would come along with the young people and they'd do things together and, of course, they were in groups. And so, you know, sometimes the spark would happen and people would just get along and then we made it so that the young person knew that all these mentors were available as potential people that they could have a one-on-one mentoring relationship with and then the young person would then request i i'd really like to have so and so as my mentor so when we sort of started adding in that you know that natural process of doing creative and fun activities together that give people an opportunity just to be side by side and to talk about something that they're doing take the pressure off that one-on-one mm. thing like we do in art therapy that's when it it started to go really well. So anyway, I I did that job for a while and then from there, at the same time, I'd been working with an organisation called CSAP, which stands for the Child Sexual Abuse Prevention Program. And the reason they'd got me involved was because um, I was able to work with little children and young children who were nonverbal because I'd had that experience in my own lived experience and also through my volunteer work. Um, and so, yeah, because of being an, a creative arts therapist, yeah, I was able to work with little children and the CSEP program were one of the very early, um, projects that recognised the problem of child sexual abuse in the community. So remembering this is in the early 2000s and it was Dr. Raina Markelson, who was the young Australian of the year back in those days, um, who founded that program. So I was working with them. We were doing a lot of prevention programs in schools and then part of my job was to work with children who had had the experience of sexual abuse and especially with nonverbal children who'd had that experience, um, which was really amazing and profoundly moving work, but also heading towards, you know, the darker side of of life when you start Mm. working in the area of sexual abuse, it's always very challenging. But I was, I found myself working there and Raina had said something to me um, that had a big influence on me, whether she meant it to or not. But she said, if we really want to, um, if we really want to address the problem of child sexual abuse, we really need to work with the perpetrators. Mm. Uh, and so a job came up in a program called MAPS, which is the Male Adolescent Program for Positive Sexuality, and that was also running in the Parkville Youth Residential Centre um, where there was young men in custody. And that program was um, it was targeted towards the young men who'd been found guilty of sexual offences and the program leader was a wonderful man called Patrick Tidmarsh, who's now Dr. Patrick Tidmarsh as well. And he had been one of my teachers when I was studying. So he um, was a drama therapist and a criminologist. Mm. And um, so I applied for that job because I was not only thought that I had some relevant experience um, but I also thought it would be great to work with Patrick because I, I thought that he'd be a wonderful mentor for me because I was a, a new practitioner. Mm. And 
and he was that was true so I got a lot of wonderful experience we got to work in lots of very creative and experiential ways so it was a program that very much embraced creative arts therapy we used a lot of drama especially in our group work and we also um, were privileged to be able to run adventure therapy camps or wilderness therapy camps for the young women where we would take them off into the the wilderness into um, the cathedral ranges and camp with them for a week as a very intensive therapeutic program anyway so I worked (laughs) in that area intensively for a few years and then I thought that I might pull back a little bit from working in the most um distressing kind of area of sexual abuse and I segued off and took a position as a manager with um, Headspace in their startup year. So I was based mm. in Sunshine in the western suburbs and my role title was community capacity building manager. So once again I got to do a lot of work with a lot of young people and used a lot of creative arts practices and I worked in lots of schools and with lots of other practitioners and We got funding to do some wonderful creative projects, art-based and drama-based. It was was really exciting. Um, And then the funding ran out with the change of government. The funding ran out for my position. The clinical positions, on the other hand, got refunded, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But the community capacity building position didn't. And so there I was. And I was a young single mother by that stage with a mortgage, a giant mortgage. (laughs) I'd bought myself a house that had four bedrooms upstairs. It was a beautiful 1923 red brick terrace house in Brunswick and it had a shop downstairs that I turned into my art therapy gallery and studio, which was called Art Art Studio. Anyway, however... We didn't have the NDIS funding that we have now and it was quite hard to make a living as a private practitioner, art therapist. But I, um, there I was, I decided to give it a shot and I just um, went freelance doing that and, um, yeah, set that place up and kept working out of there at the same time as um, teaching. So I taught in the RMIT art creative arts therapy program um for about six years until it closed and then once it closed I really missed the teaching and I got offered work I'm not even sure whether to name this institute I'm not going to (laughs) I got offered work with another institute that's now closed and I worked with them doing quite a bit of teaching um and somewhere along that track oh it was like I think I was I don't know, it was sometime in my 30s, maybe moving towards the late 30s, I decided that it might be a good idea to do a doctorate. So I enrolled, then I went and met with, oh, actually, I started at RMIT and um, I spent a year, an agonising year there, trying to write proposals and make a very amoeba-like shaped peg fit into a very square hole. (laughs) Um, yeah, and I had to leave that um, in the end. And I then I found my cat and I met Warren Lett and they kind of um, encouraged me to do whatever I wanted in terms of art-based research. 
So I was studying the doctorate. I was doing a little bit of work for my cat as well. And, um, yeah, running the studio and gallery, wow. working as, yeah, as a head of school somewhere else. And then, yeah, I think I just sort of kept going down that path actually of doing being more independent. So, yeah, I kept working independently and that's what I'm still doing. But I was, I was doing it in Brunswick. I'd been based, you know, in the inner city for 25 years when COVID came and, you know, to my great delight, by that stage I'd managed to get into a relationship with a lovely person who lives down the coast, two hours drive out of Melbourne in the township of Inverloch here in beautiful Boonwurrung country. And so I exited the city, came down to Inverloch, worked online all through COVID, and then by the time I was sort of able to go back to Melbourne, it didn't feel like home anymore. And so here I am. I've stayed here. Beautiful. Yeah, so now I'm doing all those things that you mentioned when you introduced me. So I, I work in my own studio here. I do see people in person. And um, I do quite a lot of online work. I do supervision with beautiful, wonderful creative arts therapists from all around the country. And, um, yeah, I, I run an event, the Creative Mental Health Forum, and, yeah, do the convener job for PACFA for the new college that we're launching and opening up and I got the doctorate too I got that in about 2019 I finished yeah Yeah, I was going to say that's that's that was on seeing her stories is that that was the research title yeah that was your mission was to make women's stories visible through art and then you've also then published that as a book is that I have I've got it here oh amazing yes so it's it's online, it's on my website, but it's also, you know, you can Stunning. Yeah, you can get a the hard copy. The hard copy, there's, yeah. There's lots of pictures oh, yeah. in there. There are. Yes, there's yeah. some of them. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And before we get stuck into you now, I just wanted to say in addition to what you're doing. I recently had a friend join you for your creative arts therapy retreat. So that's also something you're running now that you're you're a seaside seaside resident. Yeah. <laughs> that's the Creative Mental Health Forum and Self-Care Retreat. Ah, okay, and that's annual. It's annual now. We just had the third one. I I ran one. The yeah. I ran one. Um it was it was actually in between the Melbourne lockdowns. It was almost yeah, it was very um, serendipitous that we were able to run it because it was just at a time when Melbourne was open um, and I just had this feeling that everyone would, you know, would benefit from coming together and being in nature and seeing the horizon and, you know, sharing, you know, being together again with our community and 
just engaging in that peer-to-peer learning but also that connection that's so important and I had a hunch that people might want to and they did so the first the first two well after the first one 60 people came and people kept saying oh yeah I'll come again next year and I was like oh this I didn't realize you know that you thought you know that might happen I just thought I'd do one because I thought there was a need (laughs) but now there's been three and people you know keep saying oh I couldn't make it this year I want to come next year so I've yep 2024 is happening I've put it out there and you know there must be part of me that quite enjoys it too but you know it's it is it's it is wonderful. It's wonderful us all coming together and I, you know, get to interact with some pretty amazing practitioners during the organising of it and so, yeah, I love um, it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I I'm, I'm, couldn't make it this year but I'm hoping for next year. So thank you for organising that. No, I hope you do come. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, you've mentioned the um, new uh, College of Creative and Experiential Therapy within PACFA. Mm. I don't mm. know how much you can talk about that or not talk about that, but if maybe you wanted to share mm. um, what that work entails for you. Yeah, no, I can talk about it for sure. Um, it's what does it entail? Oh. <laughs> I feel like it's it's a really it's definitely an honor first of all to be the convener and um you know I was you know really felt very honored to be nominated by my peers um to me it's it's a very important thing that's happening because um you know PACFA being the psychotherapy and counseling federation of australia it even in its logo, it has an umbrella. It has this big arc like this. Mm. And it's been around for decades, PACFA. It was established as actually an umbrella organisation to bring together um, diverse practitioners and organisations all under the umbrella of counselling and psychotherapy to become a body to advocate and represent um those professions as a collective and so something that people might or might not know about me is that um back in 1999 uh, the graduates of RMIT's creative arts therapy so creative arts therapy master's degree weren't able although we had you know, master's degrees in creative arts therapy, we weren't able to join the Australian Association of Art Therapy or the Australian Art Therapy Association, ARTA, right? So that's what it was called back then. We weren't allowed to join because um, we didn't specialise in art therapy. We had a multimodal multimodal training. And so um, a collective of us formed the other organisation that, um, some people may remember old people like me, no, um, but people who've been around, you know, for in in the profession for more than five years will remember ACARTA, 
and that was the Australian Creative Arts Therapies, no, Australian Creative Arts Therapy Association. Um, so, yeah, we formed that. We built it from the ground up, that organisation. And then that became one of the two associations um, that folded a few years back um, because they were both chasing the same membership. Anyway, back in that back in the day, there, Akata actually became a member, an organisational member of under the umbrella of PACFA for a little while there. So they were the kind of association. Um, for even back then that they were you know they were welcoming of us and they've got a, a big membership of people who do identify as creative arts and experiential therapists of sort of diverse disciplines but under kind of the the psychotherapy umbrella counseling and psychotherapy mm. so um when I decided to make PAC for my professional home, that they've changed their structure over the years where most of their members now are actually individual members rather than organisational members, which was okay. how they started out, yeah. So when I decided to make PAC for my professional home and I spoke to Johanna, who's the wonderful CEO, um, they were very interested and supportive and actually suggested that there were so many creative and experiential therapists within PACFA that it would be worthwhile creating a division within PACFA to acknowledge that specialisation of practice, right? So um, and they call their divisions a college. So it's not a teaching college. It's just like that's the name that they give this collective, right? Mm. So, yeah, we put out a call of interest and there was um, many people who attended the planning meetings and put together a proposal which was unanimously accepted by the PACFA board um, and uh, then they they voted to, um, yeah, establish the college and I was nominated as the convener and that all happened about a year ago and so since then a leadership group was nominated um, so it's been me along with seven other amazing people who are members of our community of practice and um, we've been working on this, setting it up. Now, I don't know that, no, I definitely know that I didn't realise what was required to set it up because I hadn't done that before mm -hmm. and um, I don't think any of us really knew but it's taken us that year. We have been working solidly and what we've created, um, which we're actually launching on Monday, the 3rd of July, 2023. Mm -hmm. Very <laughs> um, exciting. Yeah, we're having a launch and we've managed to, to create our foundational documents. So we, we've really tried to remain true to process in doing that, in that we we formed the leadership group, formed relationships with each other because we were all nominated. We didn't all know each other. We had to form a group and we got to know each other. We shared artworks about, you know, our values and our um, practices and our hopes and dreams and vision for the college. And then we invited the broader pack for membership who are creative and experiential therapists to contribute and we asked them we sent out a survey we asked them 
about their, you know, practice values, their skills and capabilities, their um, things that they think are really essential in terms of the theory base, their knowing and knowledge. Um, and we got all of that material and we went like this. We mushed it and we massaged it and we generated our documents, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so we've now got foundational documents, which is the membership statement and the terms of reference, which um, we've had to look at creating processes and documented policies and processes and the membership criteria and all of that. We've had to do it to a standard that meets PACFA's um, mission, which is um, that they've become members of NASREP. Do you know what NASREP is? No. no. NASREP is the National <laughs> Alliance or Association. Forgive me on that one, but it's the National, let's just say Association, National Association of Self-Regulating Health Professions. Okay. So, yes. So NASREP is the self-regulating professions equivalent to APRA, the Australian Health Professionals registered you know professionals association anyway yeah so, yeah so it, the reason for becoming a member of nasrup is to show that uh people or the the professionals who work under the umbrella of pacfa um, meet the same standards as those professions that are funded through medicare all right um, yes Yes, because as we all know, we we do have a mental health epidemic in this country and the shocking fact is that there's a huge need, there's a massive underutilised workforce and uh, who could be helping to meet that need and mm-hmm. that's our job is to match up the resource with the need, right? And so yeah. that's part of the reason that I believe it's such an important and crucial time for us and people in our profession to be a part of PACFA who are doing a strategic and systematic and dedicated job in working towards the goal of public funding for access to our services. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I just got schooled. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm so grateful because it's been a, it's been a a bit of a minefield to try and get my head around. So I, I just really appreciate you explaining that and yeah. And I feel very passionate listening to you now and I can see your passion in that as well oh yeah Um, thank you yeah I think on behalf of pretty much all of the industry thank you thank you for your effort um and dedication (laughs) yeah yeah you're Um, well you're welcome thanks yeah you're definitely uh I think how did my peer put it yeah you're you're like our lead activist um so, yeah, it's a privilege yeah. even just sitting chatting to you. Um, <laughs> maybe in oh, well, taking. Another, 
I'll just tell you there's another reason, right, okay, for me. Because we, we were chatting about this before we started recording about, you know, why why I want to do this work, right? Yeah. Um, so I'll just say that my time being in classrooms with with student art therapists, right, is a really important part of why because yeah. I, know, I know the calibre of people who, who come into the profession and I know how much that they've got and we've got to offer our communities and I know our communities need it and I've been in the situation of needing it and not being able to get it, right, and, you know, so, yeah, yeah. that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, and that makes sense. We go through such vigorous training as mm. well and so it's 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 only rightly so that we're included in in these um industries and services yeah carla how do you take care of yourself <laughs> what's your self-care look like um well i i i like exercising so mm-hmm. Yeah, I do, and I do live in a beautiful place, but I always went out for um, a run or a walk every day, even when I lived in the city, so time mm-hmm. in a green space or a blue space, getting some fresh air, moving the body. Um, mm-hmm. These days I'm over 50 now, um, so I also do Pilates to try and keep, you know, keep strong in the core and, um you know, doing art, of course, never fails. Mm. And I'm, you know, like anyone, never feel like I get enough time to do my own art practice. But knowing that does sort of continuously make me conscious of, you know, having an art day or having an art hour, getting together with a friend to have a little paint in the yard, or that kind of thing. Um Self-care, you could, I mean, honestly, I don't think you can ever do too much. So I, I, you know, attend supervision. I have good friends that I talk to on the phone and also in person. I mm. make sure that I see my extended family, including my adult son, you know, who, they all still live in Melbourne. I, I make the effort to go and visit them you know, at least once a month and, you know, sometimes a couple of times a month, sometimes mm-hmm. every week. Um, and, yeah, stay connected. Stay connected with the community of practice. Mm. Yeah. 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 And what does your art practice look like? What sort of materials are you drawn to at the moment when you get a chance? Yeah. Um so I, I love painting. I am a bit of, I am a painter. Mm. Um, just looking at, so I've got, I, I'm also, um, you know, really conscious of sustainability. Mm. Um, so I try and, I try and use recycled stuff. So at the moment I'm painting, I've been painting on these offcuts. They're mm. out of, they're from a framer. And my friend Maya got these for me in Morwell from the local framer. So they're just the middle of, you know, mount boards. So I do like working on on stuff like that that's, um, you know, not a precious or expensive art materials. And lately um, me and a group of other friends gathered at a good friend of mine's 
house, Alison Neville, and we had an ink making day. And so, yeah, we experimented. I've got some little swatches here. Yeah, we experimented oh. making our own inks. That they're made out of coffee grounds and onion skins. A lot of people do this stuff, but I love mm-hmm. um, sort of using organic materials, upcycled stuff, you know, along with traditional art materials. But I I often love to use more than one material on you know an artwork so that you'll often find a blend of ink pastels acrylic paint and oil paint Mm. all together (laughs) (laughs) all massaged together as well (laughs) oh i love it love it um for our final question unless there's anything you want to um to share further mm. it's um what advice oh sorry yeah oh no that's okay say? I didn't say anything about my seeing oh. her stories research yet but oh let's let's go there let's go there yeah um look it's yeah as I said that it is available on my website for anyone who'd like to have a read but mm. um there's there's a Journal, there's been a couple of journal articles that have come out. So one um, was called Seeing Her Stories, I think Finding a Place in the Landscape of Art Therapy Literature. That one came out in Jokat. And the recent one that's come out in Pakja is it's called um, Interest, Enablement, Joy and Meaning, Listening for What's Life Enhancing About Sharing Our Stories Through Art. So, um, yeah, they the, the first one that I mentioned really positions, oh, it looks at um, the absence of women's stories even in art therapy literature and sort of challenges us to have a bit more, um, you know, a bit more of a social equity lens on our work, which is coming through now but it was missing in art therapy for ages. And um, the the second journal article really challenges us to um, listen deeply to the people that we work with rather than superimposing uh, lenses and language from other disciplines over our work, you know, in order to try and justify what we do and how it works. So it's, yeah, it's about listening to people for how they tell us that our work um, helps them and enhances their life and it yeah that especially focuses on those four findings of my research was that when we share our stories throughout it is life enhancing and in particular it's life enhancing by um, giving people experiences of interest enablement joy and meaning and what I've been finding very interesting these days is actually that these kinds of qualitative experiences are making their way into the findings of neuroscientific research these days. Mm -hmm. Just this morning I read a neuroscience article talking about how purpose can um, be a shield against loneliness. Purpose and meaning go hand in hand. The existentialists have known that you know, for a long time and philosophers, right? And so, yeah, I just, 
I'm finding it very interesting that um, the things that I found through my art-based research are being mirrored and matched and come to be found in through whole different processes in a different way, but, you know, in the neuroscientific literature. So maybe maybe that's all I'll say about that, but, yeah. No, it's fascinating, isn't it, how, yeah. how I guess what you're interested in comes up in a different discipline or a different world. Um, yeah. yeah, wow. Thank you for doing that research as well. Um, I appreciate that. You um, And you said that's on Joe one of them's on Joe Cat and one of them's on, I missed the second. Yeah, PACJA. So that's the PACJA. Psychotherapy and Counselling Journal of Australia. Amazing. PACJA. Yeah. Okay. Without jumping the gun <laughs> to conclude, yeah. if there's nothing further, yeah. um, what oh. would you like other art therapists to know or what would you what advice would you would you give up and coming art therapists? I know you've offered so much already. I'd give them I'd offer them the advice that congratulations, you know, to you for following your soul path. And um, what you contribute is part of a very much needed cultural shift that's bigger than all of us yet we are all part of and you know I thank you for doing your work stay connected stay strong thank you Carla that's such a beautiful way to um to end thank you so much for your time today thank you for sharing with us you're welcome Um, yeah I hope you enjoy the rest of your afternoon and I hope to see you next year at your forum (laughs) yeah thank you so much thanks for doing your podcast too I know I'm enjoying it and so are many other people it's really valuable thank you I appreciate that thanks (laughs) thank you for joining us today on the fat moon podcast it's my pleasure to provide space for us to listen and learn from each other if you wish to support the fat moon podcast further please give the show a review and a like. You can also head on over to the Patreon page and check out other ways you can support this project. Any of the topics that we discussed today will be linked in the show notes and you can find all the avenues to connect with today's guest. Finally, if you would like to be interviewed or have a creative therapist you would like to learn more about, please reach out and send your suggestions. So until next time, thank you. Take good care. Remain curiously creative and remember to rest.